Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Trek Babble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And uh, we're setting up to watch the season four Voyager episode, Living Witness. Uh, this is definitely a favorite of mine. It's uh, one I routinely cite as among uh, some of the best work uh, that Voyager does. Um, it's, yeah, I would say it's in my top three or four. Yeah, it, it's definitely uh, in the upper echelon of ideas episodes. Um, there's there's just something really neat about the execution. Um, I, I think I can get my one nagging flaw um, right off the top is the idea that they make a backup copy of the Doctor that seems to have all of the Doctor's doctorness. Yeah. Like, yeah. that does seem to raise a few questions. And I want it noted that I said raise questions, not begs questions, because I know that annoys Matt if I say that. Um, but it does raise some questions about the ethics of that and the metaphysics of that. Like, it just, it's a tiny, tiny complaint in an otherwise very interesting episode. So I'm just getting that away. I'm getting that out of the way before we even, you know, yeah, dig in. It's definitely one of my complaints also. Uh, awesome job using the correct phrasing, Kevin. Um, <laughs> That's, that's an in-joke. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's uh, August 2016, and assuming that either Hillary Clinton has, has won, or um, you're listening to this from your Fallout Shelter-style bunker, um, we've been having an ongoing conversation about the use and misuse of language by politicians and, you know, words meaning what they mean and things, so. Anyway, uh, you know, I was looking at the... Um, you know, the Memory Alpha page. Uh, and this episode is from a story by Brandon Braga. And the screenplay is by Braga, uh, Brian Fuller, uh, and Joe Minoski. So it's, um, you know, three uh, veterans, Trek veterans. I suppose Brian Fuller may have been somewhat new at this point. Uh, but he is, of course, going to be the showrunner for the new Star Trek series, Star Trek Discovery. And I have to say, um, knowing that he is part of this story does actually, despite myself, fill me with more optimism for the new series. Because this episode, to me, has always been sort of a quintessential Star Trek episode. You know, like, this is one that gets it, what Star Trek is. Uh, And... We can talk more about it as we proceed with the episode, but, you know, just, you know, briefly, to me, what Star Trek is, is using a sci-fi backdrop to tell sort of allegorical stories about current politics, social mores, you know, moral issues, uh, those sorts of things, right? Yeah. And I don't know if you could, could possibly fit that definition better than with this episode um so why don't we uh, go ahead and start it and we can dig into why that's the case so you should all queue up your media whether it's dvd or streaming and we will all press play together in three two one press play So first of all, uh, they got some like sharper image office furniture there in the uh, ready room here. Now it's not the sort of teal and gray uh, uh, boogie board furniture or whatever the hell it was. 
And of course, you know, things are very different, right? We've got conflict being the Starfleet way, violence. Janeway is wearing uh, gloves like a murderer and uh, has a black collar. She has a less severe haircut in Orange is the New Black. Like, that is an impressively severe uh, updo she has going there. Um, I feel like they darkened it, too. They did, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they did a little something there. Um, and, uh, like little changes, like the, the red lighting on the wall, right at the opening shot, uh, it, it was good. Like it, it's clear we are not in the correct room and, um, that, that it, 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 good detail work. And I wonder what, how much influence that might be Brian Fuller, because having watched Hannibal, the man has an eye for, uh, for decorating details like that. Well, and you know, this kind of conceit is classic Star Trek. You know, uh, from mirror mirror on, you know, when you have episodes that tweak or, or put you in a strange, you know, mirror universe uh, kind of thing, it, it's a it's a concept that Star Trek lends itself to because, of course, you can have alternate realities, you can have, you know, quantum uh, universes. Now here we have a Kazon on the bridge. Uh, if, if we were going to see them again, I guess that's the way we'd want to see yeah. them in some sort of alternate universe. Uh, yeah, I- Mulgrew's doing a really good job with her body language. It's it's melodramatic. It's 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 almost like noirish, but it's not. But it's not intendant melodramatic. If you take my meaning, I do. Don't get me wrong. I love intendant Kira like in a vacuum, separate from the episodes in which she appears. But I take your point. It it's it's just it's coloring just inside the lines. It's it's more it's more menacing because it's more believable. It's like you could completely understand a character who acts this way, whereas the intendant. I mean, you know. She would be, you know, like chewing on her chair. <laughs> uh, I still can't help but love her. I know it's it's irrational, um, and I wish the episode had served her better. But there it is. Um, this is fun too. You know, it's uh, using data effects. I, I do kind of question why they would have. And so we can spoil the conceit here. You know, this is a future alien society looking back at an encounter with Voyager, how and why would they have gotten the impression of positronic brains and, and you know, data like creatures? Well, that fe- I, I think that feels like, um, like that was more fan service than anything. Like if they were going to yeah. misunderstand the dark, the doctor's artificial nature, it's going to be that. Um, so I here's l- some CGI of Voyager with bristling with, uh, you know, phasers. I remember both. thinking those phaser banks looked, intentionally similar to the additional phaser array on the enterprise D and all good things. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. So, uh, we're coming into sort of the plot proper here. You know, we're in some sort of museum. We have a scholar, a researcher giving a tour, you know, running a simulation 700 years later, still feeling the impact. You know, we've got two races, okay? So this is already like a very pregnant setup, right? Um, so, I mean, look, we're how many minutes in here? Uh, it's about a four-minute teaser. 
And I'm super interested. I got to tell you, you know, and I was when I first watched it. Uh, It's ticking all the right boxes for a fan of the franchise, which I guess does raise the question of whether this episode is one that would be better for fans or could also appeal to non-fans. Uh, well, what, if, I don't, what if this were your first episode? Right, this shouldn't be your first episode. And I don't think that's a sin, even in purely episodic television, to say this is an episode that requires some knowledge of the series. Like, that's that's not a sin. Like, it's not like you're making... It's not an anthology. You know, they are connected, if only by their setting. Um, so I don't mind saying, you know, this isn't the episode... You shouldn't start Next Gen with Best of Both Worlds. It's just deadens the impact a little so yeah it's not a sin but yeah i agree like this might be a little bit more like not even a diehard fan needs to you don't even you don't need to be a diehard you just need to have you need to be familiar with the nuts and bolts of now, if you'd series. seen one or two episodes prior to this i you know i think if you took it on its own you know and this was the first episode you saw uh i think once the doctor comes into the picture and says this is how things really are um that would be enough you know, is it interesting enough on its own without already being a Star Trek fan? No, I think so. I think so. You know, you've got spaceships shooting things from space. You've got people talking about, you know, helping each other in their war. Um, you know, and then you've got this sort of framing story, right? You know, I, I really like how they're getting details wrong. So this episode is so rich. It's got so much interesting stuff because, you know, the point here is kind of one about history and historiography, you know, like how accurate can history, not how accurate is it, but how accurate can it even possibly, right? Um, 700 years after anything, how many details do you truly have? And especially for an incident like this where your primary source is gone, is long gone, like was only there yeah. for... your primary source is debris, you know, like captured stuff, uh, you know, first-hand accounts that have been filtered through so many people, right? Do you, do you like the, the black collar look? Um, it's, you know, it works. Um, it's particularly flattering on Janeway somehow. Like, uh, maybe it just pairs better with the black. Um, something I actually like about this episode, and we can discuss this more, you know, toward the end, but I like how the, the mis- the inaccuracies aren't painted as intentional or even necessarily, you know, naive or, you know, blind. Like, they seem to portray, and maybe the reps will prove me wrong, and there's a scene I'm forgetting, but I seem to recall the inaccuracies are presented in good faith. Like, the guy is making a reasonable argument from the available data, as yeah. it were, and that's what gives the episode its heft, really. Well, and he, he's, when he's answering questions, he's he's couching, you know, in sort of academic caution. You know, right. it's like, we believe they had this much, you know, our, our sources, you know, our evidence tells us this. Um, yeah, totally. I think it totally lends, you know, to the, to the story because we can recognize, uh, the way we, the way we are. Uh, 
you know, th- this is very mirror, mirror. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm surprised they don't have an agonizer. <laughs> I thought the tattoo was a little much. Like that might that was just a styling choice. I think they went a little like making him look like Queequeg uh, was a little over the top. Well, did they already do the mine's bigger joke with Q and his tattoo? Uh, Maybe yeah. that's a later episode. Mm, yeah. Mm. I I do have some questions. Like, how do they know that? Chakotay has a tattoo. He's a Native yeah. American, and his culture is one of peace. And yeah, they've got a slightly different pronunciation on Chakotay. The yellow contact lenses on Robert Ricardo are very unsettling. Well, especially, especially with, with, yeah, without the makeup to you know yeah. match it. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, I, I think one criticism is, like, the, I mean, look, I guess this guy's acting it pretty well, by the way. Um, you know, I, I guess there is some believability in the notion that they would, you know, put these things together conjecturally. Um, but, I, you know, I think there are questions. I mean, historiography grossed out by the little things that poke out from there. Yeah, like I mean, like there's a level of like you go to a museum and they kind of present it to you in layers, where like here's what we absolutely know, here's what we reasonably infer, here's what we suppose, and then here's like a line for line recreation that we made in a video for you to watch, and like I want like. That's understood, I think, now to be like, you know, the the more detail we're giving you without direct evidence, the more conjecture there is. Like, I read a lot, I, I read a fair amount of historical biography, and, you know, good authors can balance, you know, you know, scarce for, uh, primary data with, you know, a good storytelling ability to try to weave it together and give something that you can actually latch on to, um... But I think the good historians also flag what is conjecture and what is not and why they're conjecturing a certain way. Uh, so, I wonder how much did they have to... like? Did I hope someone took Jerry Ryan out for like a cup of coffee or something because she has described uh, her board get-up as not the most comfortable thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. But, the, you know, part of what makes this episode so fun is that you know, they're going here with so much. They've got the data thing, they've got the Borg stuff, and they're doing it full, you know, whole hog, right? They're not just, you know, chintzing out on it. Uh, you know, they're giving us the full makeup, they yeah. give us extras in Borg gear. It's, it's pretty stark how dark the ship is. Like, it's kind of dark anyway. In, sometimes, but it's really dark uh, in this setup. This is a Tim Russ uh, directed episode, huh. by the way. And, you know, to, to the extent that we can tell what things are director's choices, uh, I think he's doing a heck of a job. You know, he's getting cohesive performances out of his actors. Uh, you know, he's choosing good angles. You know, the episode is cut well. Yeah, and uh, you're getting um, 
like you're getting a sense of the crew's having a little bit of fun. Yeah. This is pretty bland uh, alien wear on Tedron and his uh, aide here. Yeah. It's an interesting, like, it, it's not that Janeway tends to wear a lot of makeup, but she seems to be wearing, like, none uh, in this. They've, they've made her up very flat, you know? Like, it's a very flat color on her face. Uh, she almost kind of looks a little waxy, you know, like a wax dummy or something. It's very imposing. I wonder if they actually She's cut... She's got a darker lip, And I, I wonder if they cut her hair to that, because that, I mean, that looks like her hair. Um, and I assume she has shorter hair under the wig, but... I don't know. Like, I'm willing to believe that the... Um, the, the Widow's Peak is hers, but... I don't know. <laughs> it's awfully bushy on her left side. To believe that it's real. Maybe it is. I think they can do pretty good things with with hair pieces, yeah. you know, making them look real. So this is yet another, uh, you know, planet with two intelligent species. You that, know, right? That seem to have evolved very apart. Um, I also find it interesting that um, they 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 seem to be like. Even in the one that's trying to paint this uh, other species as the initial aggressor and the actual wrong party, they're still laying the blame at Janeway's feet. And even you have to wonder, even in the politics of that world, was that a was that a choice as opposed to one dictated um, by the circumstances? Well, he, you know, the, yeah. So the the alien character here, you know, he has had reservations, right? Uh, you know, and he doesn't seem terribly happy about the way things, you know, have come out. And so I think you're right. You know, there, there is something being said about you know, politics of this uh, story, you know? They can't make, is it the Vasicans? Kyrian uh, uh, and... Vaskins or something, yeah. I think it's Vaskins. They can't make the Vaskins out to be, uh, you know, horrible because they still live in a society with these people. Um, I love, I love the people they cast as the Vaskins looking at this. Yeah. Uh, exhibit. You know, the the acting choices, even the the basic look of the guy. You know. It's so perfect, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like sort of, it, it, it's like seeing people who wear Confederate flags. It's just like that, like. Well, no, I I think it, he's not an out and out, you know. He's skeptical, yeah, right, and he's skeptical because you know the, the story being propounded here is hitting at his cultural identity. You know, he must have been taught from youth that there's a reason that the Kyrians are in the position they're in. You know. It, and so you know let, let's just get into it let's get into you know what do you view as the parallels here how can you prove this is true take a closer look so it seems to me 
one parallel could be, you know, like Holocaust uh, history, right? Yeah. We're talking about million, uh, millions of people, yeah. uh, you know, being slaughtered and, you know, having a, a particular sort I have Kyrian friends, but I don't appreciate seeing my people being portrayed as villains, right? I don't want your history taught to my children. So I, I think that there are, I'm not saying it's perfect Holocaust anymore. You know. Yeah, I, I think there there's some element of like the, the age is what um, is what would separate that because it's like there are you know extant survivors to tell that story. So it's like um, <coughs> yeah, this is 700 years later. Um, you know, I think there are obvious uh, sort of race relation elements. Yeah, yeah. Right, the Kyrians here are saying we've been systematically excluded you know, from the larger society, right? Uh, and, you know, I love that the Vascon says, you know, I have Kyrian friends, you know. <laughs> it's, it's such a nice uh, little observational detail that gives you a clue. This map, digital mat is okay. It's not great. I really like this set, though. Yeah, no, this, it's a, it's this a museum good, set is, yeah. is very... Uh, oh, I like the I curving like, structure. I like the the shot of the window in Voyager. It reminded me of um, Requiem from Methuselah. Mm, yeah. So this is interesting. They're looking at a holographic recreation through a window. It's interest. That's an interesting choice. Yeah, I, it's a it very seems, strange choice. It seems like a lot of work to go to for something you're going to look at through a window. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe there are, like, liability issues or something. Maybe they don't have uh, safeties. Uh, I'm not sure. They're going to use tools from the simulation itself. Hopefully they'll be more compatible. This is a bit of a cheat, I think. Right, right. It's like, how would they know? Like, Well, maybe they stole some blueprints or you know, some data from the computer. So here, there's far more data than I expected. You know, it looks like a program of some sorts. An optronic data stream. You know, I, I think, could the doctor be contained in that little blinky thing? Well, Moriarty was. I suppose. <laughs> Don't you wish they kind of used, <laughs> you kind of wish they had used that uh, Moriarty artifact. Well, they already did in the... That's true, in, yeah. I guess that would have been too obvious a tell. So he knows he has a mobile emitter. His, uh, his communicator chirped when he pressed it, which I find odd. Yeah. Um, I mean, his communicator is holographic, right? And it's yeah. holographic on the real doctor, yeah. too, because he can disappear and relocate. So maybe the chirp is just a local thing? <laughs> <laughs> You're a hologram. That I know. It's, it's a good delivery. That's the EMH backup module. One of your attack parties must have taken it from sickbay. So it's just lying around, or... 
Yeah, and so this doctor seems to have all the emotional response of the original doctor. You know, he's upset at the notion of ha- that much time having passed. You know, he's indignant. Yeah, the, yeah. It's just not to rehash a point we've discussed. It's just um, the ethics of this are weird. Like, like even at the end of the episode, um, when it's like he decides to set off home, like as accepting the doctor's um, sentience is given. This is an extremely traumatizing event. He literally like ripped Van Winkle. Like he went to like he. It just the, the ethics of the backup program just really start to nag when you think about them in this context. How many backups are there? You know, since they lost this backup, do they make another backup? Um, now, I, I will say, having the idea of a backup is a nice callback to the previous episode in which you know the doctor was you know not there, and Harry and Tom tried to create. You know, a backup. So, you know, there's that. But then, of course, in that episode, it was difficult to create a backup. And here, they've successfully done it. Well, also, like, 100%. are their experiences harmonized? Is that ethical? Like, this doctor is having a different set of experiences. If he runs into the first doctor, like, do they just merge the programs? Like, it's, um... No, I mean, he seems, for all intents and purposes, like a wholly autonomous, different, sentient being. Which is weird. And if the doctor needs all those gigaquads of right. computer memory and space, and only the mobile emitter, a 29th century piece of technology, was advanced enough to contain it, did, did they reverse engineer elements from that? I, I don't know. Anyway. I, we're probably not going to solve those problems yeah. <laughs> right now. So, yeah, they found data modules in the ocean. Uh, I, You know, I really like this. This is a really good scene. The way that the actors are being framed, the close-ups. I also, I, I like that the, um, the things that get wrong are, like, tiny but big, you know? Like, for, for, the, for the people trying to guess um, at what's going on, they got close to the mark, but in that gap is a lot. Yeah. It's interesting that, uh, you know, he's so protective of the, the sort of relics, right? But, you know, I got to think that, you know, a pad or a phaser is pretty durable, compared to today's products, because we're talking about future materials yeah. and stuff. Like, this this personal interplay seems odd. You know, like, how, how would... I mean, it's funny, and it's fun to watch, and it's fun to see the It's fun to see the contrast. Where's Bolana? Have we seen her yet? Um... I don't, I don't think so. Was Roxanne Dawson wasn't pregnant at this point, right? Or she had already had her kid, huh? Yeah, I thought she already. I'm gonna look that up. God, the eyes are really upsetting. Um... 
to picture Kate Mulgrew just really like like reading this particular script with relish. Like, how often does she get to be the bad guy? Yeah, it's clear that Kate Mulgrew enjoys. I mean, she's been so good as Janeway, uh, but creating such a dense layered character must be exhausting. Uh, well, also, it's it's fun to see the through line with her Janeway with this. Like, it's not it. it this isn't a you know rebuild from the ground up of her Janeway. It is a tweak of a couple of key personality traits, but there is they are related. I mean, in, in a way, again, I love I love Nana Visitor. I enjoy her intendant on a purely camp level, and I get what she was going for. But this is probably a better iteration of the mere universe idea of a character because it, I think the through line between you know Prime Janeway and alternate Janeway makes more sense well and that's speaking of mirror mirror that's why mirror spock was so compelling because you could see prime spock in him you know if he were just a a mustache twirling or goatee twirling villain it wouldn't be compelling but to see you know some of the character traits uh carry over is what makes it compelling uh roxanne dawson is indeed not in this episode and it is because she's recovering from the birth of her child Yeah, so this is another in a long line of Voyager interacting with a society uh, in a way that doesn't seem like a very good idea. (laughs) Um, And actually, it it is kind of a callback to Attached on TNG. Oh, the, yeah, the the Kesprit. Yeah. It's like, it seems obvious that you wouldn't want to get involved with the Kes or the Prit, you know, based on, you know, any even cursory examination of their culture, right? And so does Voyager really need a trade deal, you know, that with badly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these these racist brown guys from beyond, uh, it, it seems like a bad idea. Maybe if they had established, you know, a little more of a rationale like, you know, we really needed X, you know, we were we were really low on energy or something. So I really like the structure of this episode. Um, you know, we're about two thirds in now and we still haven't gotten, you know, sort of the doctor's version of events, you know, with, with the real characters in flashback. But the, the basic questions here are really good. And, I think they're better because we've been given so long to, you know, sort of steep ourselves in this world before going back to the, you know, quote unquote real world of Voyager. Well, I also see in this conversation is what really is just what makes this episode so interesting. Like the doctor has no need to, and no, no ability to refute the, um, the, his assertion that the Kyrians are oppressed in the society. And I, I take him at his word. Um, yeah, this is none of my business. You know? Well, uh, like I, I take, I mean, I take the Kyrian scientist at his word that his people are oppressed and that this is like, but it also gives some ring of truth to the doctor's explanation that this story 
intentionally or not. And I think both the acting and the writing does a really good job of portraying this character in a way like he, he, he has an agenda because everyone has an agenda. Everyone has a bias. Everyone has a point of view, but it's not, it's not two dimensional. Even if he is making assumptions in a um, given direction, it's not, um, it's not like he's doing, he, he, he's not malevolent or stupid. Like, well, I think he's emotionally compelling yeah. because, you know, any of us, if we had, you know, some cherished historical belief questioned, we could imagine ourselves in his situation. Yeah. Um, you know, what if, you know, to, to bring up other historical parallels, you know, I can imagine people feeling this way when uh, a founding father, you know, has claims made about him, you know, so it's like Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings or, or Andrew Jackson, you know, being a, a, a violent racist or, you know, whatever the case may be, right? You have people who are biographers and they become intimately sort of involved with their subjects and they admire them. And so how objective can they be, yeah. right? And they strive for it, but, you know, there's always something lost. But then there is also always something gained, right? When you become involved, when you lose objectivity, you gain passion, you know? And that passion can make you animate the story in a way that's compelling to people. And so which is more important, you know? Well, Historical like, yeah. truth or sort of emotional truth, societal truth, the truth that's needed at the time. Yeah, like uh, 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 I really enjoy uh, Tudor history, and there's an author named Alison Weir, and she's done a bunch of biographies of like Henry VIII, Elizabeth I, Mary Queen of Scots, etc. Um, she also wrote a biography of Eleanor Aquitaine that I really liked. And I like her because she tends to be... She, I think the best way to approach your bias is to be blatant about it rather than try to... It, you know logic it away like you can be like look this is what i'm this is why i'm passionate about this project this is what i'm bringing to the table this is my life experience and you know you should know that going in um and she and because especially that far back there aren't enough primary sources to create a c complete narrative you do have to fill in the blanks just to make it work just to make it readable um and the better you can do that yeah like i there's just something very real about this. Like, I wonder if they talk to an actual historian. Well, so this actor is uh, Henry Warrenitz. Um, his name is Quarren. And he's played uh, Jadan in The Drumhead. So he was the Klingon who was accused. Huh. Uh, he also played Gagan. Uh, the main scientist in Voyager's Distant Origin, um, which, yeah, we already reviewed and we reviewed very positively. It's it's pretty obvious why he was cast uh, in this role, because he can really give, you know, this sort of principled, layered, uh, emotional journey. It's like, like you said, you know, I totally believe that he does care about the truth and that he wrestles with his biases, you know, and yet he portrays that really well in sort of the, the delivery of, you know, his scenes with the doctor when he, when he's kind of arguing with the doctor and coming around to the doctor's uh, point of view. 
you know. So finally, uh, here we are in the sort of real version of events. But again, how real is this version? This is the doctor backup module reconstructing yeah. history, right? And, you know, he's got, apparently, because he's the backup module, detailed impressions of the, of the psyches and the personalities of all the crew. So his reconstruction of these scenes is going to be better, I suppose. And he's going to have, uh, you know, sort of a, a better timeline of events, uh, which conversation happened when, which attack happened where, who was involved, that kind of stuff. But this is still his historiography, you know. And when the arbiters come and question him, you know, the, the writing in the episode makes that clear. He's reconstructing it too, and he's doing it as best he can. And so it, it's nice to have uh, two different versions, neither of which are actually true. Oh, I have to believe Tuvok's a good enough shot to, you know. <laughs> or or those two guys behind him. You know? <laughs> Maybe they don't want to hit the warp core. <laughs> you know, it... I will say this Tedrin character, having him be so diametrically opposed. Yeah, it's 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 a soft spot. It's um, it would be more interesting if it were a little more, if there were a clearer connection. Well, it's just like he's he's a villain now. Yeah, <laughs> it's like he was a hero before, and now he's a villain, and that seems like a stretch. You know, <clears throat> even after seven hundred years. Would we somehow turn Benedict Arnold into the hero of the story, you know, or turn George Washington into the villain? Uh, you know, it seems like no amount of revisionism could ever accomplish that. Feat. Yeah. So I think it would have been better to make him more of a like he's violent, but he has to be, whereas before he was only violent very, very reluctantly. You know, like there's. The two Tedrins should be different shades of the character, not two diametrically yeah, opposed yeah. characters. So I guess they didn't realize there was a fight between these two groups of people. I do like, however, how there's sort of blame to go around in both stories. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how long it takes the doctor to create this huh. simulation. I really like the casting they did on the... Um, the token Kyrian on the console here too. Yeah, she, she has such a such a snarl in her delivery. I'm assuming this is 
No. Oh. Is that CJ Craig? No, it is not. Believe me, if Al's in January in Star Trek, I would have uh, remembered. I would have died. I would have just transcended this plane of being. I get why you think it. She has that kind of same patrician, you know. Well, she's very tall, too. No, this is Marie Chambers playing the Kyrian Arbiter. Um, I think she's doing a heck of a job. You know, she's the token Kyrian on a council. She feels marginalized. You know, she she's she's got an agenda. You know, and I think she's doing it in a way where we believe her. Yeah, we believe yeah. her emotional sort of underpinning as a character. And I gotta say, you know, this this male arbiter too. You know, like, I, I'm digging him too. Yeah. It's always about race. See, in a Star Trek episode, you can have the white character say that, you know, and the predominantly white audience can watch it and be like, ah, okay. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> right? Well, no, yeah. It's, it's one of the things science fiction does well when, when it's done is, you know, turn a mirror onto society. And this does, yeah, like, on some level, it really doesn't matter who was responsible for a war that happened 700 years ago. That can't be the ongoing justification for the subjugation of a people. Like, it, on some level, it doesn't matter who is right about this recreation of Voyager. There has to, like, you know, everyone still has to live together. Um, though, obviously, uh, there's a, you know, some value I assign objectively to historical accuracy. Um, but, uh... It, yeah, it's, this is, and I gotta say, this is a pretty light-handed allegory. No, like, maybe it's because everyone comes off so reasonably. They all have points of view colored by their experiences, and um, because they're you know fake aliens, no, the audience can't get over invested in one side. Um, it, uh, yeah, it, 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 it like, um, let that be your last battlefield. Bludgeoned you with its point. Um, a few other times Star Trek has approached this issue, it's been pretty, not, you know, not fatally, but definitely with a heavier hand. Um, this manages to tie it into a broader point about historical truth and bias that kind of softly lands its points. And again, maybe it's, it's, it could just be the restrained acting on everyone's parts, but it really does a good job of making its points without just, you know, overwhelming you with it. So I, I appreciate that. I think to some degree it's because it's the doctor who's the focus. Because um, he's, he's an outsider even in, even in the Starfleet world. Like, I really like this scene too where he's saying how he was fascinated by the history uh, ever since he was a child, even though they were the bad guys. I suppose Voyager is what made me fall in love with history. I gotta wonder if one of these three guys, you know, like, majored in history in yeah, college or yeah. something. 
Like, I almost wouldn't be surprised if this were a Ron Moore episode. How do you feel about the whole museum being a holodeck? Graphic gener- generators. I'm fine. It's it's fine. Um, what is that giant piece of art? No, that giant creature, like three-toed sloth, doing in there. I mean, yeah, I'm fine with it being a holodeck just to prevent the need for trapping him. You know, I don't don't feel like they're going too far uh, with this riot. You know, I I feel like they've earned it. I feel like they've done enough. Um, You know, establishing uh, the bona fides of this society, you know, talking about how there's this, uh, you know, centuries-long oppression. And so it doesn't feel cheap or uh, unbelievable when we see it you know, break out in violence like this. I also like the, you know, sort of making the the tricorder, you know, the repository of the knowledge. Uh, I think it's a nice writing touch. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, his dialogue here, the pressure's been building for for years. The Kyrians are demanding you be punished for your crimes. The Vaskins want to hear your version of events again. And I like where the story ends up going. The doctor, or the doctor's backup module, uh, delete my program. You know, he wants to limit the harm that is being done to the living people in this society, and so he's willing to decompile his program so that he can't be used as a lightning rod. I think that's a fabulous, uh, you know, testament to his character. And I think it, the writing, this is a classic example of characters driving the writing. Right. Like, if, this like, were, if this were Harry, it would be different. Yeah. Like, and even like, I like the, do- like the doctor even eventually abandoning his concern for Voyager's good name, because you're right. Do you really care? Like, do I care what the people on Alpha Centauri will think about me in 700 years? It's not at the top of my list. Let me tell you. Um, so it's it is very credible, and you're right. A different character. Um, I could say Tuvok. Lana, if it were Harry, you know, if it were Paris, you know, if it were Neelix, Neelix, Neelix would tell that story until he died, telling yeah. the story, like when he ran out of breath telling it. Um, yeah, no, it's. Um... Well, now his point in response is a good one. You know, the truth needs to out. Because we need to build structures based on the truth. You know, we need to build coalitions and, and consensus based on truth. And of course, this is, you know, sort of the final twist. It was a pivotal moment in our history. Dialogue is open between our peoples. 
found a new respect for our divergent cultures and traditions. Oh, dear God, could there be a more Star Trek sentence? <laughs> <laughs> it paved the way for unity. God, uh, like Gene Rod, whatever the opposite of spinning is, that's what he's doing in his grave. Oh my God, this is. <laughs> Uh, I like that they clearly used, like, one of the TV Guide promo shots there. Like, what's with the armed cross thing? <laughs> I also like that they cast an actress who looks kind of similar to uh, the other one. Yeah. Uh, like, it, it, it fits sort of structurally that they look related. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it just works. I kind of wish they had gone for sort of an interracial uh, person in the audience there. Yeah. Someone who had a mix of both Kyrian and Baskin features. Yeah. Uh, but clearly, you know, they're they're all getting along. They're you know, they're they're very amenable. Um, they also didn't really establish exactly how much time had passed. It looked like they were in the same museum. So there's that. Uh, you know, but was it another hundred years? Was it twenty? Was it fifty? I suppose it doesn't really matter. Um, well, so. I, I think it's a whale of an episode. You know, we've identified a few flaws, you know, the, the module being chief among them, um, you know, and, and a few other sort of niggling questions uh, here and there. But it's a fabulous allegory. It's got very good characterization. Uh, I actually cared about the alien of, aliens of the week here. Do you agree with me on that? Yeah, yeah. The, the, they had enough life, and their conflict was painted, as most conflicts you know, are historically, a little more you know, nuanced than history would record them. Rome and Carthage were neither you know, purely the aggressor, purely the innocent in their war, with each, their ongoing wars with each other, despite what their respective histories might indicate. Um, so yeah, no, like, they had enough tech, like, given that the whole point of the episode was that history is more complicated and nuanced than you might initially think it, it helped that the people were as well. This is how to do a big idea episode. Yeah, it know? wasn't boring, and despite all the talking, it didn't quite, like, if every speech were that last bit about the dawn of the Age of Harmony, it might have gotten a little much, but it didn't yeah. feel, you know, there it is. Let that be your last battlefield was a lot of speeches. This was this was surprisingly this was a lot of dialogue, not a lot of speeches. Maybe. Well, and the, the two simulations, you know, it's sort of a Rashomon kind of feel, you know, or a uh, what's the TNG episode? Um, matter of perspective. Matter of perspective, you know, it it's fun for the viewer to you know see the, the similarities and the differences between. Uh, a repeating scene. Um, so yeah, like I, I think pacing-wise, despite it being you know very talky, uh, it's not speechifying. It's you know you're right. You know it's dramatic dialogue where people have points to make and they they have sides to their argument and they have uh, feelings that they want to that they want to put out there. And every character felt like a real character. Every character felt like a real person. You know, like the, the skeptical Vaskin, you know, uh, you know, the, the Kyrian scholar, uh, the Kyrian arbiter, you know, the Vaskin arbiter. You know, these all felt like people who had skin in the game. You know, they, they all have beliefs and it's just it's really well written. 
you know, it, like, and, you know, far be it for me to use a beautifully written Star Trek episode to further denigrate, you know, the Abrams reboot franchise. <laughs> but this is a big idea story. This shows you how to dramatically and in a very interesting way, you know, uh, tease out the aspects of big ideas, say something meaningful about where we are today and who we are today, you know, and then end on a point of optimism, you know, that it's fabulous. You know, the new movies every once in a while kind of try to throw a bone to this sort of thing. You know, it's like they talked about drone strikes in into darkness for one line of dialogue. And then it was just like, well, now we got to keep the plot moving from point D to E to F to G. You know, the plot was driving the characters. Here, the characters are driving the plot. You know, the characters have desires, uh, wants, needs, uh, you know, fears, hopes. And those desires and wants and needs are driving the action. And it makes the action much more meaningful to the viewer instead of just a bunch of stuff that happens. Um, okay. And, and to, to be fair, this this episode probably wouldn't, as good as it is, probably would not have sustained a movie. You know? Like, it's not a movie. That That's a separate conversation about why Star Trek probably ultimately works better as a TV show, but that's a discussion. Yeah, for how, how long can you sustain an hour? Yeah. You know? Can you do it for 40 minutes? Can you do it for 60? Can you do it for 120? Maybe not. Yeah. You know? um, but right. yeah, so yeah, I, I think this episode, it's it's probably one of the, like, and not to, not to rag on Voyager, I'm on record as liking Deep Space Nine more, um, but I'm trying to recall another big idea Voyager episode. And I think, let me, let me think. Um, the phage comes to mind. Jatrell comes to mind. Yeah, um, definitely Jatrell. It's been a while since we've had a big old school Star Trek, maybe Death Wish, certainly. Um, so it's been a little while since we've had like a big grand allegorical episode and it's well received. It's It, it hit on all cylinders and it's a credit to all three people who wrote it. So, you know, well done. Uh, yeah, like aside from just the... Like, there's no way to accident to kidnap the doctor without removing him from the show without the conceit of the backup so my concerns about that aside uh, you know um that that's the sticking point yeah i i agree with that but yeah beyond that you know it's it's an allegory so of course it's going to have some fulcrum that it needs to turn on to work has to have something to be the in for the story and as as quasi absurd uses of holographic technology go this is by far one of the least so <laughs> um so i can let it go um acting wise i think that's what really sold this episode with the exception of tedrin's characterization everyone had a like every everyone in the quote-unquote real world had a credible internal motivation that didn't make them monsters or stupid um then that helped uh Robert Picardo was his usual delightful self. Kate Mulgrew clearly had a ball. 
Um, she was fun as the villain. Um, well, and I think the rest of the main cast, you know, like they had a little bit to do and they they did it, you know, very yeah, well. G- Garrett Wang showed a little more animation than I I normally credit him with, so that was good. I've been reading here and there that he really liked the darker elements, you know. Yeah. In, you know, whenever he got to play them, which was not very frequently. Well, um, how, how often did he get to play anything frequently? Well, um, uh, you know, like in Timeless, uh, you know, he, he's much darker. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and the guest cast, you know, I guess you can't say enough about uh, Henry Warren. It's, uh, you know, he's done two very good uh, sort of versions of similar characters, you know, the scholar. Uh, you know, but I, I think his interplay with, with Robert Picardo really makes the episode. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, as the viewer, you have to sort of feel an emotional, uh, something emotional for both sides of an arc. Right, right. His, his investment has to not be ridiculous. Otherwise, yeah. it's point like like I'm glad they shied away from trying to overly parallel any specific Earth conflict, because I think that would have for better, for worse, that would have made one side wrong. You know, yeah, yeah. like like, you know, I'm all for intellectual debate. I don't think the existence of the Holocaust actually is up for it. De- I don't think there is a valid controversy. Um, so there, I, I'm glad that they managed to elide. Like they managed to evoke without specifying what de- what historical event this could be, and that that kept it that kept me able to see both sides. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I thought from a production standpoint, this was a very enjoyable uh, episode. Oddly, you know, almost, like yeah, almost a bottle because everything was on the ship in the museum, which was one large, well done room, but it was you know one large room, like. Well, but, you know, even though most of the action took place on the ship, it was two different versions of the ship, and they were easily recognizable, you know, based on lighting and, and a few uh, set design changes, you know, or set dressing changes. Um, you know, you had the, the uniforms, you had different furniture, and there, there was a, a lot of sort of gel lighting, which was reminiscent of TOS, uh, which gave it that sort of mirror-mirror feel. Uh, when they were in the the mess hall executing Tedrin, there was like a, a red gel and maybe a, a, a blue gel on the wall. Um, and then there was some pretty decent CGI. You know, I, I liked the bristling Voyager look. Uh, and, you know, the digital matte, the nighttime version wasn't as good as the daytime version uh, of the sort of city the, uh, on this planet. But it was certainly competent. Uh, so, you know, all in all, I, I think there was a lot of visual interest, personally. Yeah, uh, yeah. I thought maybe the, the Curian alien makeup was pretty mundane. Um, the Vaskin was a little bit better. Well, yeah, it gave him kind of like a, like a kind of lion look. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I mean, you know, both were pretty standard Westmore, uh, you know, sort of designs. Um, different enough. Yeah. M- maybe they should have been a little closer uh, so that it made more sense from an evolutionary standpoint. I, I don't know. 
uh, I suppose maybe that's another story issue. You know, I, I, I'm not advocating that they should have done like, you know, one side black, one side white. Mm-hmm. You know, like and let that be your last battlefield. Um, but maybe if they had they had seemed a little bit more closely re- related, I, m- I might have liked that a little bit better. Uh, so it's probably pretty obvious. You know, I think this is five. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree. To me, this is quintessential Star Trek. You know, this, the, if every episode could be like this, uh, I, I don't know what would happen. It, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe people would find it boring. You know, I, I don't know if I would. Uh, but, wow. I mean, I think it's a great episode. Um, it's not perfect. But is any episode perfect? I don't know. Uh, Yesterday's Enterprise, pretty, pretty, pretty close. Pretty darn close. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd have to strain to think of a flaw. Yeah. Um, yeah. City ends forever. Yeah, I agree with the five for a total of ten. Um, yeah, this is this is some of the best work Voyager's done, I think, or will do. Like it just, it's a big idea executed in a dramatically interesting manner, and you can't. You're not going to make me much happier um, as a as a diehard Trekkie. Um, yeah, I think uh, you know season four has been. I think the addition of seven of nine has shaken up the status quo just a bit. Um, and obviously, this isn't a big seven episode, but uh, I don't know. It just it seems like the writers are willing to go for bigger things uh, to some degree in this season. Uh, you know, maybe having the Kazon kind of bog them down, it's like, oh, well, we got to establish this thing about the Kazon that nobody cares about. Hmm. You know? uh, I mean, so far in this episode, in this season, we've had, you know, Nazis, uh, you know, we've got, you know, this, this mirror, mirror, sort of concept um you know we've got a fair number of you know seven vehicles one with the you know recovered memory sort of rape scene um <coughs> it just seems like they're they're stretching a little bit more uh and, and i'm digging that so far you know we'll we'll get to it when we wrap up the season but yeah, i'm just uh, it feels like season four is better than the previous three seasons and yep. that we've said this about Deep Space Nine too. It's like if you break down the individual episodes, maybe it doesn't, the math doesn't work out. But you know, seasons five and six feel better, yeah, <laughs> and more consequential than seasons one and two or three, for that matter. So I don't know. I'm feeling it right now with Voyager. All right, All right. Uh, that's a ten for uh, Living Witness. Uh, We'll be back soon with, uh, I think, uh, next up is Demon. Yeah. Certainly an interesting episode. Yeah, I think it has some issues, but we'll get to those. If not only for its follow-up, which (laughs) we'll certainly get to and uh, discuss in due course. Uh, I'm not a hater of it, but I know some people are. (laughs) Um, 
Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like Course Oblivion inside the four walls of Course Oblivion a great deal. It has some great emotional moments, but it, we'll get to there. It's, it's the most egregious use of the show's reset button. Well, that's debatable. The most egregious? We'll see. Uh, there's, I, there is some competition. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, live long and prosper, everybody. Uh, you know, keep watching the skies. First duty of every Star Trek fan is to the truth. Um, you know, whether it's historical truth or personal truth. So, uh, you know, have a good one. All right. Have a good night.